Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning to you and welcome to another episode of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. I want to thank you for waking up with us and joining us this morning for some important conversations. Later on this hour, we're going to catch up with Amy Jones. She's the Chief Executive Officer of the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. Throughout February, the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center is doing a webinar series to educate people on human trafficking, sexual harassment, and teen dating violence. We'll find out everything that the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center is doing and how you can support them in their efforts. Since 1947, Camp Summit has been providing barrier-free outdoor experiences for children and adults with disabilities. Carla Weiland is the camp's CEO, and she joins us right now. Carla, uh, good morning to you, and thanks so much for taking the time for us. Good morning, Jared. Thanks for having me on today. I appreciate it. Well, this is a wonderful organization, a a cause that's near and dear to my heart, uh, certainly. Uh, I guess, first of all, if if you wouldn't mind, what's the, the history of Camp Summit? Sure. We were started, like you said, back in 1947 by the Seroptimus Club of Dallas, a women's organization, um, a community service organization, had, and they had one of their members come to them back then and say, you know, my daughter was denied the opportunity to go to camp because of her disability. And the woman in that group said, well, that will never happen again. And they started this camp back in 1947, and pretty much nothing has changed um, except for the name since then. So we've kept the tradition alive of what they intended from the very beginning, and that is to serve all individuals, regardless of their disability, um, in an outdoor setting for outdoor recreation, a very traditional camp. We start at age six and go up through 99, so it's a lifelong experience for our campers. And how, how did you get involved? What's your history with uh, Camp Summit, and, and what drew you uh, to this organization? Well, I've been in the camping industry um, in, involved in, um, for over 30 years. So it was a very natural place for me to land um, over 17 years ago here at Camp Summit. Uh, my degree is in recreation therapy, so it's a perfect fit. I was a lifelong camper myself, and it's just I have always felt it was very important for all individuals, um, regardless of our abilities, that we have the same opportunities to to enjoy recreational activities throughout our life. And there's no better way to do it than through a camp experience where our campers can come and be exactly who they were meant to be here at camp. And we simply adapt what we do to what um, their abilities are. Carla, I know that the activities that make up the the programming portion of Camp Summit are not just, uh, hey, let's blindly pick some things that seem to be fun. There's a, a rhyme or reason behind them, uh, whether there's the, the physical value, the, the educational value, whatever the case might be. How, how has that process evolved for you all over the years to come up with the, the, the right, the best, the, the most fun and, and uh, rewarding programming while these kids attend the camp? That's a great question. You know, all of our activities at camp, you will see at any other camp that you would go visit. So we really have tried to mirror what all individuals want to experience at camp. So we have very traditional camp activities. And what makes them different for us is how we adapt them. So we have horseback riding. 
And we have an adapted saddle, and we have adapted equipment to get our campers onto the horse. Or uh, another great example is our ropes course and our challenge course. We have an opportunity. Every camper who wants to participate, regardless of what their abilities are, can get on there. And that's kind of our philosophy is that at Camp Summit, we always say yes we will find a way for you to participate in an activity that you want to do. So, again, you know, we've had the camper who's on a ventilator that requires 24-hour-a-day nursing care that has been through our ropes course and been down the zip line. So there are always ways that we can figure out to adapt to what our campers want to do and help them to be able to achieve their goals like anybody else going to camp. You know, it's the same same philosophy, just how we go about it sometimes is very different. We're talking with Carla Weiland of Camp Summit, and, and as, as we continue the conversation, if there's any information that perhaps Carla shares and you're in the car or, uh, it, it, it you know, by the time you uh, think about it, writing it down or something, you just you, you can't remember. The website is pretty simple. It's campsummittx.org. That's uh Camp Summit with two M's, uh, TX.org. And all the information, I'm sure, will be uh, available online as well. I, Carla, I, I mean, you've kind of touched on a little bit about the, the, the foundation of Camp Summit, but uh, what is, the, what, what is the, the, the catalog of programs that Camp Summit offers and, and is available for those who uh, want to participate? We have a variety of activities, um, or opportunities, rather, that campers can participate in. And this year is a little bit different, having just come out of the, not come out of, still in the middle of the pandemic, but as we look forward and how we are going to best serve our campers this year. So we were doing some virtual gatherings um, this spring that are free of charge to our campers. We do twice a month. We do one, which is a Tuesday talk, where we get our campers together through Zoom and have a topic and that they can discuss and interact with each other as well as staff. And then on another night during the month, we have a dance, a favorite activity at camp for all of our campers. And we've just taken that also to Zoom where we can, we can all be together and the music is playing, the campers are dancing at home, um, sometimes by themselves, sometimes with family members, sometimes we have two and three generations of the family dancing together. So it's a fun time, again, for the campers to be able to have that contact with other campers. So that's one thing that will be going on this spring. We also have, generally would have two weeks of spring break camp, but because of the situation we're in now, we are not going to hold those in the traditional way. But we are going to have um, spring break, and we call it Camp in a Box. And it is a um, event that campers will need to register for online on our website at campsummittx.org. And they will be sent a box of activities for the week of spring break. And each day there will be two live events, both at the beginning of the day and at the end of the day with our staff to kind of get the day started just like we do at camp. And then within their box and on um, pre-recorded videos will be some activities that um, the camper, and if they want, their family can enjoy with them. They're at home, and they can do it on their schedule. And then, again, at the end of the day, the staff will come back, and they will tie the, the day all together and have some more fun and some activities in the evening. So that's that will be our spring break camp this week, this year, and we're pretty excited to, to try that out and, and to see our campers involved in that. And then we do start, we are going to have our uh, traditional summer camp, we are offering actually 12 weeks this summer by doing 11 one-week sessions. And then we have a mini session, which is just a couple days long in the middle of the summer for maybe that camper that's not quite ready for a whole week or the, the timing just doesn't work for their week of camp. So that will be um, a very traditional what we normally do. The big difference this year will be that we are doing it at a reduced capacity and with COVID guidelines in place. Um, so that takes us through summer, and then because we are year-round, we just keep on going. So then in the <laughs> fall, <laughs> you know, we have nine more weeks of camp um, for our 16, campers 16 years of age and, and older, um, which, again, is very traditional in um, our typical programming then. In addition to all that, 
Um, we are offering some one-day programs. We call them fun passes where family groups or, or as we like to say, kind of the, your COVID friends or COVID group that you've been hanging out with, you can come out to camp um, as a group. And we will have activities planned for the entire day that you go around and do with just your group. So we're keeping that social distancing in place for that as well. And then one final thing we're offering this year um, in the spring, and we call it Camp to Your Door. And it's for groups of um, like six people. And we will bring program to you. So if you have, we've done it for some group homes in the area, and we are now opening that up to families. And, and again, kind of those those COVID groups, if you will, if you've been hanging out with a group of friends and you want the program to come to you, we will have some three activities that you get to choose and we will bring them to your home and we'll do it again at a safe distance from from the sidewalk or in the backyard or somewhere that we can be physically distanced from the participants. So it's a pretty full year we're looking at here. Yeah, that, that's amazing. I, I'm curious for the, let's just take the, the spring break camps, since those are, I guess, next on the docket, as best as you can. What what what's a typical day like? What what could someone expect? Uh, you know, from a, a day in the life of a camper at Camp Summit for one of these spring break programs. Yeah, that's great. Um, they will start at you know the first of the day, probably around nine o'clock, um, and come together on a Zoom gathering with our staff, and they'll do the some of the typical things we do at camp um, in the morning. So it might be some songs or some chants and, and kind of looking forward to the day, some maybe exercises to get you moving and, and get everybody kind of energized and charged up for the day. And then there will be some activities within their box that will be for that day, whether it's for a, um, a craft project maybe or maybe a, a more like a science project and different activities they can do that will be more physically involved, um, all along with adaptations on how to do it and a video to show how to do it. So those will be done throughout the day at their leisure and when they're available to do them. And then again in the evening after dinner, they'll come back together through Zoom all together and do an evening activity. It might be making ice cream or it might be having that that wonderful last night camp dance so it'll we're trying to mirror the experience at camp as much as possible um for them at home to participate in carla i think one of the things that i want to reiterate and and you've mentioned it that i think is really neat is that uh this is uh, an organization that provides opportunities for kids with disabilities but also adults and um, i'm guilty of this i have a charity that supports kids with disabilities but i also know that the adult community of folks with disabilities sometimes gets forgotten about. Uh, and, uh, you know, they, they have, you know, needs and, and, and they deserve opportunities just like kids do. I just think it's really neat uh, that this is something, this is an organization that not only supports the kiddos who absolutely uh, benefit from this, but also the adults too. And I was wondering if you could share just from your experiences how important it is to, for lack of a better way of asking the question, not forget about the adults, uh, you know, who have disabilities, who uh, can benefit from from this type of programming. You know, Jared, thank you so much for bringing that up because it's such an important part of what we do. We, well, and it goes way back in our history. The first couple years that the Seroptimus Club was, was running the camp, they recognized this right away. They saw that, their kiddos that they had built this camp for were going to grow up. And just because you turn 18 and, and leave the public school system or for our campers, 22 and leave the public school system, um, you're not, your disability doesn't suddenly go away. You still have it for a lifetime. And so, you know, the beauty of it is, is that way back, you know, in the early years of camp summit, that was thought of already. And what we have seen over the years is just how, how very, very important that is to our campers. Many of our campers have been coming 25, you know, 30, 40, 50, 60 plus years to camp because it it is one thing in their life that they know is constant and will always be there for them and they're never going to age out of it. And I think it's been 
not only a comfort to our, our campers, and they love it, of course, but to the caregivers and the, the family members that know that their loved one always will have a place that they're welcome. They, you know, people with special needs a lot of times age out of a lot of things. And so it's, it's just that comfort level, I think, that it is a place that they can go and have that is all theirs and that doesn't change over time. Obviously, we make changes, but doesn't change in the fact that they are always welcome. So we have been able to keep that alive, I think. And in addition to that, I think it really gives the parents, the caregivers, the family members something to look forward to as well. Because for many of them, this is their one week out of the year that they get some true respite from caring for their loved one. And we all know we enjoy our own time occasionally, and, and we, we need that, and we need that to recharge, and that's how, how a lot of our caregivers are as well. So it is such a vital part to the, to the entire organization um, and to everybody we serve. And it's wonderful as we see the young kids come in and know that we get to watch them grow and change and, and, and grow up and be with us forever. So, you know, I, I remember a, a mom... And, and dad and their oldest child coming to a fair we were doing one, one time years ago in the mall. And the, the little girl was only a couple years old, if that, at the time. And we were talking to them about camp. And they're like, she's going to come. And sure enough, right as she was turning six years old, which would have been right before a spring break session, that mom was so excited to get her registered and to come to camp. She was finally old enough to come. And she's been coming ever since. At You know, that's been... 11 years now. So she's, and she will be a lifetime camper with us. So it's exciting to watch. I want to just as an aside, you you mentioned the respite for the the caretakers, be it parents or whomever. And and that's something that uh, I just want to amplify the the importance of that. If you, if you know someone, uh, you know, a, a set of parents or just an individual who does take care of, someone with disabilities and you have the ability to offer them even a couple of hours on a given random day of the week. I mean, it is, uh, it's something that they pour a lot of energy, a lot of love, uh, a a lot of passion into, but getting that, you know, whether it's a week like camp summit or just, uh, uh, you know, an hour to go run an errand or two, it's, uh, you know, if you know someone you're able to lend a helping hand, I know it's something that they would appreciate. I'm, I'm, I'm curious, Carla, is there, an individual, I know you mentioned a, a mother, but is there a, a specific camper who's just like a, a camp summit seasoned veteran who's been, you know, coming there for years and years and years who stands out and you just get so excited to interact with uh, that particular camper? You know, I think there are a lot of them, <laughs> honestly, that have been coming for years. And I've had the privilege of being here, you know, for, for several years as well. So I've gotten to know a lot of the campers over the years and, and it's always exciting to see them come back and see their excitement when they come back. Um, you know, we have a camper who's been coming over 65 years. Of course, seeing Freddie arrive at camp is spectacular. Because, did, I'm sorry, Carla, did you say 65 years? Correct. That is yes. remarkable. It is remarkable. And, and that's why I say, you know, it's really important to so many of our campers that this is, that they get to do that every year. So, you know, and, and, um, so I think it, I see it with a lot of the campers and I see it with a lot of the parents and caregivers as they come in as well. Just that excitement for them too, because they know that, that their loved one is coming someplace that they, they love to be and they look forward to it equally. We're talking with Carla Weiland, the CEO of Camp Summit, an incredible organization. CampSummitTX.org is the website. We're going to get into ways you can support Camp Summit in a second. I, Carla, one of the things I, 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 like to ask is what are and 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 you you don't just focus on one particular line of uh disability there you know the website even lays out that you know that whether it's someone physically challenged developmentally delayed uh you know dual sensory impaired there's a there's a wide array and and with each different uh demographic perhaps that you know there are different needs different skills that are easier to come by different skills that are harder to come by I'm just curious, what are some of the things that for a a typical camper you'd like for them to walk away with beyond just a great experience? Or is there, 
any sort of uh, development that is important to you all at Camp Summit? Yeah, there are several. You know, camp in general is really a place where campers can come and be who they are, who they want to be, um, to be appreciated for who they are. So that's what we really look for with our campers is that they are given and we encourage them to be um, the person they were born to be, right? So we want to help them discover that. Also, camp is um, a place where campers really get to try things that maybe other parts of their life they don't get to. So with our campers, a lot of times they're, t- they're told they can't do that. You have to sit and watch this happen, which, of course, at Camp Summit, we, we want them to be part of the doing, not just the watching. But also to really leave knowing that they can kind of self-advocate um, their needs, that they can express what they like, what they don't like, what they want, what they don't want, um, and, and gain some skills in those, those areas of their life, that, that independence, that leadership. You know, and leadership is, is a big thing that we teach at camp, at all camps. But how we teach it at Camp Summit might look different than it, it might be taught at a typical camp. It might be simply taking the opportunity to, to lead their family in a new song or to advocate for themselves at home and, and tell, tell mom or their caregiver or whoever that I can put my own shoes on. I know it's faster if you do it, but I can do it for myself because I know I can do it and I can, I can be independent in this way. So it can, it can look very different um, for many of our campers, um, but it's a great way. It's also um, an, a place where, you know, they can build friendships without anybody judging them. They can get to know that there are other people in the world that look like them or that, that are like them, that um, have some of the same um, skills that they have, have some of the same needs that they have, that sort of thing, so that they can, they can feel like, you know, yep, I'm not alone in this world. There, there are others out there that are like me. Carla, I mentioned this a few minutes ago. Organizations such as Camp Summit do amazing work, and it's it's awesome if people are tuning in and they're just marveling at the impact and uh, the you know the the the, the range of uh, uh, I guess influence Camp Summit has and and can provide. But organizations like Camp Summit do need help. They need help from the community. Ways to continue to lift up and, and elevate an organization like Camp Summit. Uh, and I also know that in 2020 with COVID, uh, for organizations such as yours, that was made even more difficult. And so uh, I, I'd like to know, you know, what are, I guess, generally speaking, let's start with this, uh, what are ways people can support Camp Summit? How can people support Camp Summit? That is, you hit it, you hit that nail on the head. Um, there are a lot of ways, and 2020 was a rough year for all nonprofits. So this is an opportunity, or you know, there's always an opportunity, I should say, to help our campers. Um, we provide financial assistance to our campers so that regardless of their ability to pay for camp, we will help them get to camp in any way we can. So we offer a sliding scale fee. And if they cannot pay where they fall on that scale, then we also offer camperships or scholarships for our campers. So there's always just general um, donations that can come in and go to specifically to camperships or to general operating. Um, We have online opportunities for donating. um, And then we have two very special events throughout the year as well that we hold specifically to help fund um, the camping experience. So one is our golf tournament, which this year it will be held on April the 26th, and it's at Bear Creek Golf Club. Um, and that is an opportunity, obviously, to come out for a great day of golf. There are opportunities to sponsor the tournament. There's opportunities to sponsor a team, to bring a team, all sorts of ways somebody could get involved with that, as well as through volunteering to help us plan that and execute that day. 
The second event that we hold is our Boots and Bandanas Gala, which is held um, in November. This year it will be on November the 4th. And it's a, it's a Thursday evening. It's a casual event. Um, and it's a nice time of gathering together. We have some great food. We have a live auction, a silent auction, some live music, and always a great opportunity to meet one of our campers who who's been impacted you know greatly by camp summit kind of tell their story so it's a fun night out as well and um again you know there's smaller activities throughout the year for people to participate in and then always the online donations are are greatly appreciated carla wyland from summit camp summit joining us camp summit tx.org uh is carla as far as just you know someone who wants to maybe contribute in a, a non-monetary way, which I know that the monetary side is super important, but maybe someone's listening like, I want to I want to be a part of this organization. H- how can people physically contribute to Kent Summit? We have a lot of volunteer opportunities to come and help us out, particularly at our events and some work here in the office. Um, this year we... We'll have limited opportunities at camp, but we will still have some available. A lot of corporations like to do work days together. Um, we have opportunities for that to come out to camp and help us with some of the, the physical, um, uh, you know, things that need to be done on the campsite itself with the facility, those kind of things. So there's always that opportunity as well. And then there are, there are wish lists out there on our website. We have an Amazon wish list. In fact, we're going to be highlighting some of those here in February through our social media outlets. And just, you know, that, those are ways, too, that you can help out and find something that you may have and, and donate that way. Um, we do an auction for our Boots and Bandanas event, and that's always another good way if you are good at helping to solicit those kind of items that could help with an event. Another great opportunity for volunteers. Carla, I, I'm curious, you know, there are, there, there are a ton of awesome organizations out there, and there, there are a ton of organizations that deserve, uh, you know, someone's attention, someone's physical contribution, someone's financial contribution. Uh, and, and I know a lot of times I get asked from people or by people, you know, how legit is this this organization? Are they, you know, is is this an organization I want to support? It seems like they do great things. You know, the website's cool. Uh, the the mission seems awesome. But underneath the surface, is this an organization I want to support? And I think it's it's neat. Uh, you know, Charity Navigator is a, a, a website that uh, or a service that can help answer some of those questions. And and you all uh, score brilliantly on Charity Navigator. Can you explain what Charity Navigator is, and and also maybe share uh, the the assessment that that they've provided that speaks so uh, well of what you all do? Um, that's. That's great. Um, you've, you've kind of summed it up very well, but Charity Navigator is an entity that, that looks at different nonprofits, and you must go through, as a nonprofit, quite um, a process of providing information to this organization, not only about what you do, but how you do it. So it, it looks in depth to how we structure our finances. Um, financial information is available on the site. Um, it talks about our accountability and how we how we stay accountable to ourselves and to others. Um, it will show um, who our leadership team is and and maybe even compare to some other agencies that do some similar type things. But there's always a scoring um, process through them, and, and we are very proud that we've all, we've had the highest rating for many years going. And and this is important to us because we want to be transparent to our donors and to our supporters and to our our um, campers and their families and and very open with what we are doing with their gifts to us because we wouldn't be here without them. Carla Weiland join, uh, joining us here from Camp Summit. She's the CEO. You know, we mentioned CampSummitTX.org uh, is the website. If you go to CampSummitTX.org, the top right, there's a red rectangular button with white lettering d-o-n-a-t-e right in the middle donate uh it is a a very a tough thing to miss you click on it and it, it gives you a tremendous opportunity to, to support camp summit i know carla 
would appreciate. Hopefully, you've been compelled by some of the amazing stuff that uh, Camp Summit does and, and, and the incredible mission and, and work that they do. Uh, Carlo, we've covered a lot. Is there anything that maybe we haven't covered that you think is important for people to know about Camp Summit and, and this uh, outstanding organization? Well, I think, you know, first off, again, thank you for having us on today. Um, it's great to always be able to share about Camp Summit and what we do and, and who we impact. And, you know, our campers are precious to us. We love every single one of them. But we also hear, you know, daily that, oh, I just heard about Camp Summit. So I guess I would stress to anybody listening that if you know of somebody that can um, – benefit from our services and be a part of Camp Summit that may not know about us, to please pass that information on. It's one of the things that we want every family with a loved one with special needs to be aware of and know that it's out there. Um, Know that this is an opportunity for their loved one to be able to enjoy and come join us and, and be a part of the Camp Summit family. Well, Carla, we really, really appreciate it. Again, thank you so much for all the work that you do and, and put into this organization. And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, this is a, 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 a group of people uh, near and dear to my heart, the, the the community of folks you serve, such an amazing group of, of men and women, uh, boys and girls, always put a smile on your face. It's almost impossible to have a bad day around these uh, these individuals uh, so uh, thank you for for giving them these experiences, and thank you for taking the time to share those experiences with us here this morning. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Again, CampSummitTX.org. Carla Weiland, the CEO, joining us here on Better Living. Well, it's great hearing from Carla, Camp Summit, tremendous organization, but uh, it's now time to chat with uh, someone else who heads up a, an incredibly important organization. Amy Jones is the CEO of the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center. She's taken the time to join us this morning. Uh, Amy, thanks so much for being with us. Happy to be here. Uh, the The Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center is is maybe not uh, uh, an organization that's going to put a smile on your face the way that Camp Summit might, but it's uh, it, it's incredibly important. And it, it, it covers such a uh, an important group of people who maybe uh, don't get the type of support that they always need or have the education to get the type of support they always need. Uh, and we're going to get into that here this morning. First of all, how how did the, the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center get started? Sure. So Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center uh, was officially found, founded in about 2007, but you know it takes a while to get a nonprofit off the ground and get started. So um, our official anniversary date is January of 2010, so we just celebrated our 10-year anniversary. And it got started because it is not uncommon in especially large metropolitan areas to have a freestanding crisis center that provides services specifically for survivors of sexual violence. But Dallas, for years, did not have something like this. So there was a really powerful, passionate group of advocates who came together and decided it was time to do something about it. And so they created the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center as a specific response to the incredible need that we have in this community to provide specialized services to those survivors. And all of the services are free of charge, uh, which is really important for survivors of sexual violence and survivors of any type of crime. So that's how Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, or DARCY for short, came to be. And what about... uh your connection with with Darcy, how did you get involved? And, and I guess what's your uh, uh, background that, that led you down this path? I am a therapist by training. Um, I've been working in the field of interpersonal violence for two decades now um, and have really kind of worked my way through many of the nonprofit organizations in Dallas and in Collin County, uh, working directly with survivors of domestic violence. Um, child abuse, um, sexual assault, sexual violence. And so this has really been my area of focus and expertise. The issue of of gender-based violence is something that is, um, it just stirs something inside of me. And I have a real real passion for working to end this type of violence because I do believe it's preventable. These are preventable crimes. So, you know, I started as as an advocate. I started as a Worked on a hotline. I, like I said, I'm a therapist by training, so I worked directly with survivors for a really long time. And and ultimately, over the course of my career, I shifted into more administrative roles. 
Um, and here I am at the Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, and I've been here now for almost three years leading this incredible team of folks who are passionate to respond compassionately to those impacted by sexual violence and also to shift the needle on the way that we understand sexual violence so that we can actually see a change um, and hopefully one day uh, reduce the amount of sexual violence that we experience in this country. Uh, the website for Darcy is DallasRapeCrisis.org. So pretty simple, DallasRapeCrisis.org. All, all sorts of important information on there, including the, the 24-7 crisis hotline. Uh, if you're in the car, just go to the website to get the number. Don't want anyone texting and driving or writing and driving. But if you're at home, 972-641-7273 is that number, that really important 24-7 crisis hotline number, 972 641 Seven two seven three, and again, uh, the website is DallasRapeCrisis.org. Uh, Amy, I, I want to get the the COVID part of the discussion out of the way. I know some people have COVID fatigue, but the reality is, uh, COVID, like it or not, has had a tremendous impact on so many people, including organizations such as Darcy. I'm curious, how has it impacted Darcy, and, and what things have you all done to respond and maybe mitigate whatever? Uh, challenges that COVID has presented. Yeah, gosh, it, it certainly has. Um, we are we are not special. Um, we're like so many other nonprofits who've really struggled to shift the way we provide services. Um, we, like I said, I have an incredible team, and because they're so passionate about doing this work, uh, back in March of last year, we were able to entirely shift all of our services to a virtual platform. So. That means our counseling services, we, we begin to provide telehealth uh, for all of our clients. Our advocacy services, we were able to do that um, via um, Zoom telehealth option. And even our outreach to the community, we do a ton of outreach and education and training within our community and beyond. And that team really took on the challenge and they began to pour their efforts into not just you know, virtual webinars and trainings and um, Facebook Lives, but really shifting toward making sure that our social media is connecting with the communities who need our services. Um, the creativity has, has blown me away. So it's, you know, this work is relational in nature. And I got to tell you, I look forward to being able to get back into the office. And, and I know my staff looks forward to being able to get back into, you know, meeting with their, their clients face-to-face, with survivors face-to-face. Uh, but for now, I think that we've been able to shift, keep everybody as safe as possible, and meet the needs of the community as best we can. Amy, I know education is such a big part of this conversation. Uh, you know, whether it's education from the standpoint of someone who is close to a victim, uh, or whether it's education from the victim's standpoint on, uh, you know, how to react and 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 how to proceed and. Uh, you know, how to move forward and, and all of that stuff. What, what do you all do and what is available from an education standpoint? Yeah, this is our, um, probably our biggest footprint, I would say. Um, you know, the number of folks that we reach in a year, I mean, it's, it's over 50,000 um, folks that we're able to reach in some form or fashion. And what we do is we kind of break it down into two parts, Jared. We want to look at making sure that our community understands after a sexual assault has happened, what are the resources available? What are the rights of the survivor? And um, information so that, so that they can kind of feel normalized, right? Um, you know, what are, what are some typical ways that a survivor of sexual violence might respond after sexual assault or sexual abuse? So we have that component, uh, making sure people know what our hotline is, just like, you know, you sharing it earlier, uh, the resources available to them what the criminal justice process looks like. But we probably spend the majority of our time really, really targeting issues that we understand as root causes of interpersonal violence. So we want to help stop this before it starts. So our team spends a ton of time in schools, um, on college campuses, helping people understand what does consent look like? Um, what do healthy relationships look like? And all of this is delivered in age-appropriate ways, you know, making sure that it's developmentally appropriate for our audience. Um, you know, what does, what do root issues like um, gender stereotypes, how do they support 
uh, sexual violence in our community. And so really helping people start to kind of pull this apart because it's, it's, um, sometimes it can be a little complex. And so we want to give people some really good knowledge and understanding so they know this is not inevitable. Sexual violence is not inevitable in a community. Um, and, and we believe it is a community issue, right? This is not something that, that is just private, that happens behind closed doors. When it happens, it impacts the community. And we as a community have a responsibility to respond to it and to start to work together to bring it to an end. So that's where we spend a ton of our time is really talking to folks um, so that they can better learn how this issue of sexual violence, where it comes from, right? How does this happen in our community? Um, and what can we do to stop it before it starts? Amy Jones from Darcy, Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, joining us uh, here on Better Living. Uh, all right, so I, I guess let me ask this. Uh, I, I, this might be tough to define. Maybe it's not. What is sexual assault? What 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 falls under that umbrella? What what all do you, uh, as an organization, support in that regard? Yeah, that's a that's a good question and an important question. So um, I'm going to explain it from how how we approach it. Um, we would say sexual assault is any sort of unwanted sexual contact. Now I want to be really clear for folks: we are um, a community based organization, right? So we are not law enforcement professionals. We're not trying to investigate or prosecute this crime. There are, of course, very, very specific definitions about what constitutes sexual assault in the state of Texas, um, in the U.S. And what we say from our approach, so that any survivor who's experienced any type of sexual violence knows that they're included in um, the community of folks that we want to serve. It is any type of unwanted sexual contact. And, you know, that could include, that could include um, harassment, that could include touching outside of the clothes. Um, it, you know, that includes anyone, regardless of age, it doesn't have to be, you know, an adult who's experienced it, it could be, um, you know, childhood sexual abuse. So we try to make sure that our definition is as inclusive as possible, so that everyone and anyone knows if they've experienced any type of sexual violence throughout their lifetime, we're the place that can serve them and support them. All right, so I guess the next question, and, and this is on the website as well, uh, what should someone do? Let's start if, if you are, uh, and I don't know if the answer is different, if you are the victim or if you know the victim, uh, but if you are a, a victim of sexual assault, uh, what are the next steps? How should you proceed, and, and, and in what part of that chain of events does Darcy come into play? Yeah. You know, it, it depends on the person. I would say if somebody is um, a recent survivor of sexual they've experienced it very recently, um, and if they don't feel like they are safe yet, like they're not in a place where um, they feel that they are safe from that perpetrator, the offender of that crime, um, you know, I'd encourage them to reach out to our hotline. Um, if they feel comfortable, reach out to local law enforcement, call 911. Our hotline is always a great starting point for anyone and everyone. Um, you know, we have a lot of folks who call us who maybe they have experienced a sexual assault within the last five days. And if that's the case, we want to make sure that they know um, that there are specific steps they can take, right? That, that within um, 120 hours after a sexual assault, that they have the right to access what is called um, a SANE exam or a forensic exam or what people from, you know, might know from watching Law & Order SVU is called a rape kit, right? So that's, a, that's a, an exam that's delivered by a specially trained nurse um, who is there to collect specimens that can potentially act as evidence um, in a case. So we want them to know that that's an, that's an option for them. Now, if somebody experienced sexual violence, you know, five years ago, 10 years ago, call our hotline. We can still talk with you about what all of your rights are. Most importantly, we want people to um, call our hotline so that they can start accessing support right away. But, you know, sometimes folks don't want to call a hotline and talk to a stranger. And so I would say, you know, do you have someone in your life who is a safe person that you feel you can go and you can share what has happened to you? You can share this with them and maybe talk through them about what your next steps are. The, the journey does not look the same for every survivor. 
And whatever they choose to do, um, whatever their journey looks like, we want them to know we support them. Um, We understand they're trying to make probably the best decision possible for themselves. And we are here when they are ready to reach out. You you mentioned something. uh, You mentioned Law & Order SVU. So uh, I I never really watched the show until I met my now wife. And she's probably watched every episode 10 times. So now that means (laughs) I've watched every episode about five times. Right. Uh, because you know, that's how it works. And, but I love it. And I, you know, we, on on this program several months ago, we spoke with another organization that, uh, helps and supports, uh, sexual assault victims. And I, I had the nerve to ask this question and got a a response that surprised me. So I'm going to ask the question to you. Uh, and I'm curious, how has that show impacted what you all do because i know that show there, there's so much about it uh, beyond just the 60 minutes of each episode and a lot of the characters including uh marishka hargate uh, have, have talked about all the advocacy that they do outside of the show to help sexual assault victims and to to advance uh the support and the you know erase the stigma and all of that but i i know i've heard from some people that you know they they know more or less uh, how to respond, or maybe they don't feel as bad uh, speaking up if if they're aware because of that show. I, I guess I'm just curious. It, I know it, it might be silly to ask about a, an entertainment program, but how has that show impacted uh, that world? Mm-hmm. That's not silly at all. I mean, you know, how do we how do we learn about things in our culture? We learn about it through media. Um, you know, so many folks are, they don't have family members or friends who are going to be talking to them about this, right? They're certainly not learning about um, sexual violence in schools unless we're coming into their schools and talking about it. So people learn about this stuff through media. And the way that media portrays the issues of sexual assault, sexual abuse, is really important because that shapes in a lot of ways. That shapes our narrative around sexual assault and sexual abuse. But just like you said, Jared, um, erasing the stigma. So I think when it's done well, and I will say, I think that Law & Order SVU, um, especially throughout the years, has has gotten it right more often than they've gotten it wrong. And um, that's important. That's important for survivors to see. That's also important for folks who um, are supporting survivors to see, because it really starts to shift our narrative. And the fact that, you know, Mariska Hargitay has created this organization that she created, and they really started shining a light on rape kit backlogs, that's even more important, right? So that becomes a tool, um, that becomes a resource, I think, for our community to look at and say, oh, that's, that's how it works. Um, now, I think, you know, we have to recognize, too, that show is exactly what it says it is. That's law and order, right? Most, most um, sexual assaults are not reported. So over 90% of sexual assaults are never reported to the police. They're never going to go through an investigation or, you know, um, proceed through the criminal justice system. So I think that's important, too, for us to consider is that most survivors um, are choosing for one reason or another not to report, not to make that public. And so um, while a show like that, I think, can be incredibly useful and can be an amazing tool in changing our conversation around sexual assault, I also want survivors to know um, they don't have to report their assault in order for it to be valid and for, uh, especially for an organization like ours, to support them with services. You don't have to report. You don't have to report now. You don't have to report ever. Um, that is absolutely the choice of the survivor. You mentioned the, the rape kit backlog. Uh, can you, for someone who's listening, like, ah, what, what does she mean by that? What, <laughs> yeah. what, what does that mean? And, 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 and that organization you mentioned that, that Mariska started that uh, shines a light on that. Yeah. So the rape kit backlog for years and years, um, these rape kits literally are, they are boxes. They are boxes that um, they are, they hold the specimens collected that are used in the investigation and the prosecution of these crimes. And all across the country, um, police departments would um, receive these kits after this evidence was collected, right? So they would go to these police departments typically And a lot of them did not know what to do with them. They didn't have the resources to do anything with them. Perhaps there weren't labs in the community that could process 
um, these specimens, this evidence. And so they would sit. They would sit for years on um, literally the shelves in police departments, like their evidence room, right? Um, And so that's what I'm talking about. There would be thousands and thousands of kits sometimes in large metropolitan areas um, that nothing had ever been done with them because the process, the system um, was, was broken. Uh, you know, for lack of a better word. And so until folks came along, like Mariska Hargitay, she created an organization called Joyful Heart Foundation, and um, they took on this project. Also, a lot of other folks across the country did as well. Um, you know, specifically here in Dallas, we had, a, um, you know, some, some really significant work done on cold cases, and that started to shine a light on the number of rape kits that had not been tested in here in our own community. Um, as a result, thankfully, there was some legislation that was passed in the Texas legislature over the last couple of sessions that allocated money and really ensured that there were resources to address this backlog so that people, you know, I mean, it's just not right. It's not right that a survivor would come forward uh, within the 120 days after their sexual assault, would go through this pretty invasive and overwhelming exam, um, would have this evidence collected and then nothing would be done with it. So it has been tackled as an issue from a lot of different um, angles. And, you know, we are seeing, we still have work to do, but we are seeing some real progress in those kits being tested um, and people understanding the value and the importance in getting those kits tested. Amy, what, what are some of the biggest misconceptions that need to be dispelled uh in order to further the cause that, that you invest so much time in, in trying to support in advance? Yeah, you know, the number one, I think, is one that we continue um, to address over and over and over again. But it is the really, really kind of basic understanding that the only person who is responsible for a sexual assault occurring is the person who perpetrates that sexual assault. That no matter what someone does, how they behave, what they wear, where they go, how much they drink, um, who they're dating, how they're dating them, uh, they are never responsible for another person perpetrating sexual violence against them. And, you know, I say this to you and you're probably like, well, yeah, of course. But unfortunately, that is a belief system that is so ingrained in our culture, right? And it shows up in all kinds of different ways. And so that is something that we are consistently, consistently trying to address and want people to do their own personal work, right? Kind of look inside and see, how am I victim blaming? When I hear a story about someone who has experienced sexual assault, where does my brain go, right? Um, Does my brain go to, okay, what do we need to do to hold that offender accountable? Or does my brain go to, what was she doing? What was she thinking? Um, you know, these are, I mean, these are old kind of norms and beliefs that is, it's, it's just kind of baked into our culture, so to speak. And that's why we do so much work to bring that stuff to the surface, to highlight it. So we can all start to make a shift because that matters. It matters in how we serve survivors. It matters in how we respond when someone um, reports a sexual assault. It matters in how we support them. It matters in the laws that we pass. Um, we've got to really start to uproot that very deeply entrenched victim-blaming mentality. So that, I want to say, and I will shout that from the rooftops, that's really important. And that's not just the work of organizations like ours. That's the work, I believe, of, of, like I said, communities. Um, Everyone within a community has a responsibility to start to help uproot those deeply rooted belief systems. The CEO of Dallas Area Rape Crisis Center, Amy Jones, joining us. Uh, DallasRapeCrisis.org is the website. Uh, if you are in a place where you can take down a number, save this in your phone right now, 972-641-7273. That's the 24-7 crisis hotline. You might not think that uh, you'll have any need for it, and hopefully you never have a need for it, but uh, perhaps a situation will come about where you will. Uh why not save it in your phone? 972-641-7273. If you're not in a place where you can jot it down or save it in your phone, just go to DallasRapeCrisis.org. That information uh, is going to be right there. Uh, Amy, I'm curious how, uh, just to to shift from some of the the education side of it, obviously organizations such as as Darcy uh, have people like yourself who are committed on a daily basis to to doing work and advancing the organization and, uh, 
making sure that uh, you all are able to impact uh, who you are targeting and and fulfill what you're you've, you're setting out to do. But I also know that sometimes you need some outside help. Uh, you know, whether it's volunteers or you know maybe the the financial side of it. Uh, you know, that's just how uh, the world turns, uh, so to speak. How how can people? Let's start with just volunteering. How how can people volunteer and in what ways uh, would they be volunteering? Volunteers are the lifeblood of our organization. So an organization like ours, uh, in order to you know maintain a 24-7 hotline and a 24-7 response to survivors in our community, um, there is no way, at least now, right, that we could pay enough staff to be able to do that. So we are absolutely dependent on our incredible volunteers. Um, there are several ways that folks can get involved with us in a volunteer capacity, and one of them is to become um, that hotline advocate, right? So they can um, go through some really wonderful and in-depth training with us. They can become a hotline advocate. They can become a hospital advocate. So they show up at the hospital when a survivor presents to have that that rape kit done um, because a survivor in the state of Texas has a right to have an advocate with them during that process. You know, but they can also um, do an internship with us if they want to. So if they're in school, we have a lot of incredible folks who want to come and do, you know, more of an administrative internship with us. Um, we also have a young professionals organization. So, um, you know, I get it. Most people can't can't offer, you know, to do one shift a month on a hotline and to go through a pretty intensive training, but they might be able to join our young professionals organization. And, and really what, what we ask from them is that they become um, kind of an ambassador for our organization, right? Um, that they're out there telling their friends, their family members about who we are and what we do, and that's really, really vital. So, um, you could do, you know, certainly you could do a drive. You could do a clothing drive for us within your community. That's an important kind of volunteer aspect for us. Hop on our, um, hop on our website and you'll see a list of um, materials that we are always in need of. And so we benefit greatly when folks do, you know, a drive in their workplace, um, in their church, in their school, um, within their, their group of friends. Um, and then if you have a special skill, um, absolutely, right? We have a board of directors. Um, we have committees. We're always looking for folks who maybe have a special skill that's really relevant to the work we do. Uh, shoot me an email. Throw your hand up. Let me know that you're out there and that you want to offer that skill to our organization. On the financial side, uh, I mean, is it just simply going online and clicking on the donate button? Where Where is that money going towards? What do people need to know about the, the, the need for financial assistance? Yes, we, um, are, like every nonprofit, right, um, we depend on the generosity of folks um, to help us keep our doors open and our lights on and make sure that we can answer that phone call 24-7. Um, it's really easy. So a couple of ways that somebody can become uh, a donor and a supporter of our organization. You can absolutely go to our website. You can go to the Donate tab. Um, you can click on there. You can make a, you know, a one-time financial gift. What we encourage folks to do, because this makes a huge difference for an organization um, like ours, is to become a monthly recurring donor. It could be $5. It could be $15. It could be $100. Um, having a steady stream of those types of dollars coming in is really valuable for us. It helps us to budget. It helps us to know that, you know, long-term, we're going to be able to continue to provide these services. Uh, you can also just text BELIEVERS to 44321, um, be yes, believer, I'm sorry, um, no S at the end, to 44321, um, and you can become, you can sign up to become a monthly recurring donor for us. It's super easy. It takes less than two minutes um, and makes a huge, huge difference and huge impact for us. Also, if you work for an organization that you know provides matching dollars, which a lot of larger organizations do, um, reach out to us. We would love to talk with you. So many organizations have these dollars available, and they're just waiting for their employees to say, hey, we've got a worthy organization here for you to, to match my donation, um, and we will help you figure out how to do that. That's awesome. Uh, and, and you know, I appreciate you sharing all that in, in the detail because sometimes people just say, hey, uh, you know, we need money, donate, and, you know, maybe someone's compelled to do so. But uh, having an understanding and uh, really kind of granularly breaking it down I think makes a big difference. Amy, we, I know we've covered a lot. Is there anything we haven't covered that you think would be important for people to to know or be aware of as far as Darcy's concerned? 
you know, I always leave this as, as kind of my parting message. And so I appreciate that question so much. I'm always aware that whenever I speak about the work that we do, there are always survivors who are listening. And um, I want them to know that we hear you, that we see you, that we believe you. Um, the whole reason we are here is to stand with you in your process, that you do not have to do this alone if you choose not to. And so what I want to tell anybody who's listening, whether you are a survivor or you know someone and you love someone who is, and I guess that's everybody, um, it's never too late. It is never too late to start the healing work and um, recover your life in a way that is meaningful and significant. And, and what we know at Darcy is that people can and they do heal from this type of trauma. Um, this impact can be really significant and it can change someone's life. But we see the incredible resilience and the strength of survivors every day so that's the message I want to leave, right? People can heal. They do heal. Um, that's available for you out there. This is a message of hope. This is a message of hope and healing. And so um, reach out to us at, at our hotline. Um, we're here for you. We really appreciate it, Amy. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jared. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, I'm Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks for joining us. Tune in next week as we focus on other great organizations doing amazing things in our community right here on Better Living. Baseball is back. And so is MLB.tv. Watch every out-of-market, regular season game on your favorite streaming devices. Anywhere, anytime, all season long. Follow the action live or on demand. Track four games at once with multi-view mode. And catch up with in-game highlights. Plus, original programs, minor league broadcasts, and local pre- and post-game shows. Go to MLB.tv to start your free trial today. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.